Uh, like I said, we are in a series called The End, and this week we are going to jump into uh, one of probably the most controversial uh, subjects in regards to the end times, and that is the rapture. And I am just going to confess to you right now from the very beginning that, uh, once again, I find myself feeling incredibly inadequate and not, um, not 100% sure um, if I should even be up here giving this message. Um, here's what been my prayer this week. Lord, give me the boldness to proclaim what I feel like you have showed me to, to proclaim, which is going to be, um, it's going to be probably a little bit different than anything that you've ever heard. <laughs> is that okay? All right, here we go. Quick reminder about this series. We are not going to get dogmatic about anything. This is one of the things that I have found that people get incredibly dogmatic. Now, what does it mean to be dogmatic? Well, it means you take a position and you will not allow any argument to come in. Um, and we talked last week about the power of the first mention. Many of us have heard things about end times. And when we were taught the thing that, that we first heard, that oftentimes comes uh, the, the, the neurological cold things in your brain start to form around that. Um, and Caroline Leaf uh, actually writes books about it and has done some great stuff if you're interested in this kind of stuff. But what happens with that first mention is um, when somebody convinces, is convincing and comes and speaks something and puts that first impression into your head, it's really hard actually to get your brain to think of something different. And so um, one of the things that we're asking you through this series is give, your permission, give yourself permission to grow. Amen? <laughs> like, well, I don't know where you're going, Pastor Dan, so I don't know. Um, we're not going to get dogmatic. We're not teaching fear. We're not asking anybody to run to the hills. Um, that we're trying to, very much on purpose to uh, help you to understand that God put this in the Word of God uh, because He wants us to understand He's got a handle on it. He knows what's taking place. And when we talk about end time things, it's not to scare us, it's not to give us a fear, but it's actually to give us a reassurance and a confidence that he's in control and he knows what's going on, right? Um, and then it's also, uh, one of the things we talked about last week is, is we don't believe the end times stuff are, is a salvation issue. And I love the, the comment that basically says, in, uh, in the essentials, we have to have unity or uniformity. In the non-essentials, we have to have liberty, which means that there might be certain things that I say that you don't agree with, and that's okay. Um, because when it comes to the end times things, we don't believe these are salvation issues. We believe these are things that are written in the Word of God uh, to help us to understand uh, the end and the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, but we don't believe that you have to believe in a certain way in order to be saved. Does that make sense? And I read this quote last week, and I thought it was so good. I'm going to read it again. If you want uh, to follow along, get the Bible app. Uh, go online, get the Bible app, version. Um, down on the bottom right, three little lines. Click on it. You'll say events. Click on events, and you can follow along. There's a lot of notes today. Um, as a matter of fact, I have to apologize to Jordan because um, it, right now he's probably scrambling, trying to put verses in because uh, I got the verses to him super late. Um, the reason is, well, I'll tell, tell you the reason in a minute. Um, here's the quote. Regardless of what believes about the end times and its timing, it is not a matter of orthodoxy and heresy if believers disagree. A person's fidelity to Christ and theological orthodoxy does not depend on the exact belief regarding end times. Now listen to this. When Christ returns and the church is with him in glory, nobody will be disappointed or argue about how or when it occurred. 
We will not be arguing about how and when it occurred. I promise you. We will be in the glory of our Lord and Savior, and we will be rejoicing, and we'll be excited, and I don't even think we'll have the knowledge, the know-how to go up to somebody that maybe is close to you and go, ha-ha, see, I was right. Or more likely them coming up to you and going, ha-ha, you were wrong. You were wrong. Uh, we're not going to care. We're going to love the fact that we are in the glory of our Lord and Savior. And so, um, remember Revelations 1-3 that says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written, because the time is near. Uh, I just, I want to say this real quick. Um, I received a blessing this week that I wasn't even looking for, um, and I don't find it a coincidence that we're doing end times, and I made an open invite to uh, all of you to say, hey, if you have researched this, you want to talk to me, come uh, come let me know. I had more meetings this week than I've had in any other week in being pastor of Shine Church. Um, and they were all incredible meetings. I was so blessed by you guys, the ones that I met with this week. And I will offer the, the invite again. If there is something in your heart in regards to end times that you would like to get with me, um, something about last week's message or this week, I would love to get with you and just hear your heart and discuss it. Uh, you know, the, the beautiful part of it is none of those discussions were confrontational in any way. We just actually got into the Word and talked together, and it was absolutely wonderful. And I found myself incredibly blessed, and I actually had this thought was when I was reading that scripture again, and that is um, just in reading it and hearing it um, and then being able to get with you, I, I just found myself going, oh my gosh, I'm just so blessed. I'm so blessed to pastor this church with these people, and you guys are all just absolutely amazing. So it's a really cool blessing. I'm not sure if that's the blessing it speaks of a revelation, but all I know is this week I felt blessed. Um, so it was, it was really cool. So, hey, just as a reminder, I, I know uh, one of the things that we do from time to time is we get pretty interactive and pass our microphone around. Um, for this series, we feel like we're supposed to lean more into the teaching. And so that's what we're doing. Um, I'm going to talk about the rapture and, and maybe have a, a little question and answer thing at the end. Um, but for this particular message, I'm just going to jump into the teaching. Um, so let's pray and invite the Holy Spirit to lead us, and we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your life. We thank you so much, so much for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us to encourage us. Um, Thessalonians says twice that we are supposed to take these things uh, regarding end times, and we are supposed to encourage one another with them. And so, Lord, I pray that this message tonight would be one of encouragement, that, God, every single person would leave this room just filled with your spirit and an excitement of the fact that you are going to come, you're going to come back for us, Lord. You are preparing a place right now to bring us back to be with you. And Lord, I can't even imagine or fathom what that place looks like, but I'm getting excited as I think about it. And so, Lord, I pray that I would or decrease and you would increase in me right now uh, so that I could communicate your heart to this church. The people that are here, the people that are online, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each and every one of them. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Here's why um, I was late in getting my notes to Jordan. Um, first off, I had way too many meetings this week. <laughs> I just didn't get a, 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 a specific allotment of time. But the second thing was, uh, this was an incredibly difficult message for me to actually put down um, in notes. 
I have read more, listened to more podcasts, uh, read, got into scripture more probably for this series and in particular for this message uh, than I can remember doing so. Maybe, maybe one of the first couple times preaching when you're scared to death to get up in front of people. Uh, I, but I, it just, so much information out there. So many different perspectives, so many different thoughts. Um, and so it, it was really hard for me to put all of that together and actually collect it and, and try to put it together and put it down on, um, on paper or on, on the Word document just to, to be able to give this to you. And um, I, I am going to tell you that um, I, I, have, I have kind of figured out my my dogmatic position in the and and it was this on Monday it was pre-trib on Tuesday it was mid-trib on Wednesday it was post-trib and the week before it was something completely different that was so crazy and I'll tell you that it blew my mind so uh, I, the truth is the more I got into this the more I began to realize wow this is this is an issue that boy there there are many different sides many different ways to look at it so let's jump in the rapture all right first off so that everybody's on the same page what is it. What is the rapture? Well, I looked it up. Here's the definition. A feeling of intense pleasure and joy. That's what the first definition in a dictionary will come up with. A feeling of intense pleasure and joy. Definition number two, and that's the one we're going to talk about today, and that is the transporting of believers to heaven at the second coming of Jesus Christ. All right? Um, many Christians, now interestingly enough in my study, not all Christians, not all believers believe that the rapture um, is as what most Christians actually believe it to be. Um, but many Christians believe that there is going to be a time where Jesus is going to come to the earth and is going to catch up or take up uh, his believers. And the scripture that this comes from is 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. So let's read it. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, we who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Very encouraging words to know that our Lord and Savior is going to return and that those who believe in him are going to be caught up with him, brought up, as it says here in, in Thessalonians, together with him in the clouds to meet him in the air. So we will be with him forever. That is amazing. Yes? It's good news, right? Let's look at the word caught up there. Caught up, it means this, to seize to catch up, to snatch away. Some translations say that the Lord will come and snatch us up. He'll just snatch us right from wherever we are. It's used, that word is used, the Greek word is used 14 times in the New Testament. Now here's what's interesting. Most of the references 
are referring to being taken by force. For instance, they were trying to protect Jesus because they were afraid that the Pharisees were going to take him by force, capture or take catch up, um, snatch up. Um, it is used uh, twice in 2 Corinthians 12 to explain Paul being taken up to heaven for a vision that he was given. I believe it's verse 2 and verse 4. It says that he was caught up. Okay? It is used once. This is such a cool story. It is used once um, in the story of Philip when he goes and speaks to the Ethiopian Enoch and he teach, or tells him about the gospel of the guy says, hey, I want to get baptized. And he says, hey, look, there's a body of water right there. Let's do it. They go, they baptize him. The Ethiopian is baptized, and it says that Philip is caught up. Same word. He's just taken away. So Philip literally just, he was, he was in front of him, and then he was gone. And it says that the Ethiopian was like, okay, yeah, got back and left. I'd be freaking out about that. I think there would be more written about it, but nope, that's all it said. Um, and then it is used in this one time to explain the rapture. Here's my epiphany from Thursday morning study. All of this material that we're going to be talking about today, this whole thing that we go back and forth on in regards to when does this happen and how does it happen, all of this is based and founded on one verse. One. One. Now I'm going to read several that could be closely tied into it, and I think they probably are, but I find myself thinking that if that word ketchup wasn't there and it was gathered, we would have a completely different understanding of what was going to happen at the end time. But it doesn't say gather, it says caught up. So it is in there, but here was my, my, here's my thinking. All of this argument and all of this debate and all of these controversies for one verse one verse. Now let's go into the other ones to tie in closely to it. Matthew 24, 30 through 31. Then will appear the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Okay, interesting. Uh, the word there is gather, and it means to gather. Could be caught up, but I find it very interesting, and I think God is very intentional. Uh, he writes things the way that he wants. It's, it's divinely written by the leading of the Holy Spirit that if he wanted us to know that we were caught up, he would have put caught up there. It says we were gathered. Could be. I'm not saying that it's not, but it possibly might not be the same. But here's what I do know. We're going to be gathered with the Lord. That's good news. Amen. Amen. All right, Matthew 24, 39 through 42. This is how it will be at the coming of Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with the handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Uh, okay, the word taken there, uh, it means to take away or it can also mean to acknowledge. For instance, my takeaway from that message was that we shouldn't be dogmatic. I, I, that's, I acknowledge that that's, that's what the Lord spoke to me in the middle of it. Now, again, it could be a catching up. It absolutely could be. It could be a take up. But I find it very interesting that, once again, the word that is not used there is 
to be snatched up, to be caught up. Interesting? Making brains hurt yet? I, my brain hurts. In, in all of this, I just told my wife yesterday, I was like, dude, it, it just hurts. All right, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 11. For God, God, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing, so that we may live together with him. Once again, I think one of the common themes in regards to the rapture and the understanding is maybe not necessarily the catching up, but the fact that we are going to be gathered, we are going to be brought, we are going to be collectively brought together with Jesus. Amen? 2 Thessalonians 2. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily unsettled or alarmed. Now, I put that in there because it mentions the gathering, but I also want you to realize that where it says, don't be easily unsettled or alarmed, that word alarmed is the same one that we discussed from a different section of scripture last week when it says, hey, wars, rumors of wars in Matthew, but don't be alarmed. That word means Alarm, don't be alarmed, but it also means don't be agitated. Don't be agitated. Once again, I believe with all of my heart that the Lord would have me communicate to you this, that no matter where you find yourself in regards to rapture, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, no-trib, uh, wherever you find yourself, here's the heart posture and mindset that all believers are supposed to have, and that is this, don't be agitated. Don't be alarmed. Amen? Okay. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Uh, looked up that word changed. It means to be changed. Transformed. There's change. There is a change there. Absolutely. Um, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. So all of these are correlating with these, this last trumpet. Um, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. John 14, 1-3. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And everybody said, amen. amen. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. These are incredibly encouraging words. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you and I. If you've called upon the name of the Lord, he is away right now preparing a place for you. And I wonder if sometimes we don't get so caught up in the controversy of these end times things that we miss the encouraging word of being or having the understanding he's coming back for each one of us. And we're going to be taken to a place that he has prepared. And I can't even imagine what that place is going to look like. If the streets are gold, what's our house is going to be like? Right? I, I don't know. This is going to be so cool. Daniel 12, 1 through 2. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But... At that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. 
Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. I put in the notes, see also Luke 10, verse 20, and Revelations 20, 12 through 15, which talks about this book, that when you ask Jesus into your heart, that your name is written in, and I believe that once your name is written in, it's not ever going to be taken out. And when all of these things take place and Jesus comes to snatch up, gather up, take up, whatever it is when he comes, those that have their name written in the book of life are going to have um, an incredible encounter with their Lord and Savior. And that is absolutely the heart of this whole thing is that Jesus is coming for you and I. And so let's not get raptured by the rapture. And that's that first definition, an intense feeling of joy. Let's be raptured on the fact that Jesus is coming for each one of us. Amen? Let's put our heart and mind in that right place. All right, so let's get into it. Rapture. When does it happen? When does it take place? Um, First off, in my study, in my reading, um, almost everybody has it taking place near or during the tribulation. Uh, it's a seven-year period that marks the beginning of the end of this age as we know it. All positions that we will talk about today would agree that the tribulation, or would agree on the tribulation, that there's a seven-year period of tribulation, which, by the way, next week I'm going to talk about that seven-year tribulation. I'm going to talk about um, when it starts, what are the markers uh, that take place. Spoke with somebody this week that actually gave me some really good terminology on that in regards to even markers. There's certain things that are in the book of Revelation that can be really good markers. They can be, hey, no doubt. And then there's other things that are like, mm, I don't know. I, yeah, I could, I could see it this way, but I could also see it this way. Um, and so we'll talk about some of those markers and talk about the tribulation. But all of the positions that we're going to discuss today would agree uh, on the tribulation and that Jesus is coming to establish his kingdom on earth. What they do not agree on is when the rapture takes place. Now, I got a poll that I want to show you. Um, if Jordan, were you able to get that? Or I think we have that, right? It's the one, uh, uh, the poll of what people believe about the timing of the rapture. There we go. A uh, question was asked, uh, now here's what's interesting. This question was asked to Protestant senior pastors. Now, just to make sure everybody's on the same page, um, Protestant is the group of people that peeled away from the Catholics in the 16th century. And so, I mean, these are Methodists, Lutherans, Baptists, non-denominational. These are Protestant pastors that were asked, when do you think the biblical rapture will occur? Well, 36% of them said pre-tribulation. Um, 25% said that the concept of the rapture is not to be taken literally. Um, interesting that a quarter of pastors don't even necessarily believe that what we're talking about today is, should be even talked about because they would say that's, it's, not that, it's not how it's going to be. Post-tribulation, 18%. Mid-tribulation, 4%. Pre-wrath, we'll talk briefly about that today, 4%. Preterism, uh, one preterism is man. There's so many, so much stuff with this. Preterism is actually a belief that all of this took place um, in the 70 years from when Jesus died, or the 30, 40 years actually from when Jesus died, uh, was crucified, to when the the temple was destroyed and Jerusalem was done. That 
all of this, all of Revelations was actually, it, it's already all happened. Um, so that's, that's the belief that's out there. And 8% was like, yeah, don't, don't believe any of this, <laughs> any, any particular position. Not sure where they lay. While you keep that up, I want to read some other things that came out of this. Um, about a third, 36% of Protestant senior pastors believe in the kind of pre-tribulation rapture familiar to pop culture. In that scenario, Christians disappear at the start of the apocalypse. Those left behind suffer great trouble or tribulation. One in four pastors say the rapture is not literal. Almost one in five think that the rapture happens after the tribulation, 18%. A few believe the rapture already happened, 1%. So all of, all of that graph goes on. Mainline Protestant pastors, 36%, are more likely to say the rapture isn't literal. Pastors who hold this view include about half of Lutherans, Methodists, and Presbyter Presbyterian Reformed pastors. Uh, bu -bu -bu. Evangelicals overall, 43% are more likely to believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Education and age also play a role in how pastors view the rapture. Pastors with a master's degree, 33%, or a doctorate, 29%, are more likely to say the rapture isn't literal than those with no degree or a bachelor's. 60% of pastors with no college degree believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. By contrast, 26% of pastors with a master's hold that view. Kind of interesting. Pastors under 45 are least likely to believe in a pre-tribulation, 28%, compared to their older cohorts. They're also most likely, 23%, to believe in a post-tribulation rapture. Uh, why do I take the time to read all of that? Because I want you to realize that amongst pastors, there is great confusion and great misunderstanding in regards to when this is going to take place. And I, I have been, um, I have actually been very shocked. Um, how do I say this? I've actually found myself disappointed in the fact that I have listened to many pastors, podcasts, I've read articles, sections of books, and I have been very disappointed in the fact that we have obviously, obviously, people are all over the board, and yet here's what's communicated a majority of the time, and that is this. If somebody's teaching a position that is not this position, they are teaching you heresy. I just can't wrap my brain around that. And I hope you guys are okay with that. And if, if you need to discuss that with me, please see me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you about that. But to say that this particular position and be dogmatic and say that if somebody else is teaching something else, that they are teaching a false gospel, I just don't see it. And yet over and over and over in the podcasts and the books and the articles that I read, people were taking very dogmatic positions and saying things that would just put, and I get, here, here's, here's my reconciliation of it. As a pastor, like I said last week, as a pastor, you've always been told that when you get up and you speak in front of people, you need to speak with an authority and you need to either have worked through those things or, or have read, read it so well that you know it so that you can speak it with authority. I, but like I said last week, I have not been in the end times, so I can't speak from authority on it. 
So I think any pastor that gets before you and says, if somebody else is teaching a different position is absolutely wrong, that grieves my heart. It grieves my heart. I feel it has created division and separation in our churches that I don't think God desired. I think God, I think God was very intentional to bring caught up one time and use the other words because I think he wants us to trust and rely on him and him alone and not our understanding of what is going to come. Amen? Everybody okay? All right. Pre-tribulation. I have a chart for this. Kind of gives you a picture of what this looks like. Uh, Here are the three big views and beliefs in regards to tribulation. Obviously, the cross is the crucifixion. Um, We don't know how much time is going to happen, Uh, but then you'll see the tribulation takes place, and then the 1,000-year millennial reign of Jesus Christ, the final judgment, and then all of eternity. So that's the spectrum of all three lines um, in regards to pre-tribulation. Um, what people believe in regards to that is that the rapture of the church is going to happen uh, before the beginning of any tribulation. Belief is that we will be raptured before the start of the tribulation. The church does not experience any portion of the tribulation. Okay? Um, And again, we'll talk about the tribulation next week and all the things that are in it and um, just, I, I mean, it's the, the wrath that is, that is poured out and all of those things. Um, and so, uh, to be quite honest with you, this is the one that I think all Christians hope it'll be. Okay? Um, I, I think we all hope that it'll be pre-tribulation uh, because then that means uh, we don't have to face all of that um, and that it would be terrific. That's absolutely wonderful. First uh, Thessalonians. 110 uh, says that we are to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus. And then they key on this verse right here, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This is one of their arguments, one of the scriptures, that, hey, we are not going to be a part of God's wrath, so therefore we clearly will be caught up with him so that we don't have to experience the wrath. First Thessalonians 5.9 speaks to that as well. It says, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So once again, uh, a verse that, that speaks to the fact that we would be taken up, we'd be caught up with the Lord before the tribulation takes place because we are not to suffer wrath. Um, they will also use as a foundation of strength for their argument is that in the book of Revelation, which speaks about um, a lot of end times events, a lot of end times things, that that Jesus gave a revelation to John in regards to um, about everything. I, if you didn't listen to last week's message, I find myself thinking, oh, I should go into that. I'm not, I don't have time to do that. If you didn't listen to last week's message, go online and, and it's very please go listen to it, at least for the first 15 minutes, for sure. But there's some really foundational things to uh, this whole series. Uh, So go online and make sure you listen to that. I won't go into the aspect about that. But what is not found, or what is not found in Revelation is this. In the first three chapters of Revelation, the book of Revelation, the church, now who's the church? 
We are, right? The church. We, all of us make up the church. Matter of fact, one of those meetings I had, uh, we were sitting together and the person was just expressing frustration in the church and he's like, but you and I, we're the church, right? And I'm like, yeah, we're having church right now. And it, was, it was awesome. Um, we, we are the church. The church is mentioned 19 times in the first three chapters and then mysteriously goes dark. There's no mention of the church at all in, in regards to all of the things that are mentioned in the book of Revelation in regards to the tribulation. All of the wrath, all the seals, all the trumpets, all the bulls, all the things. The word church is n not in there. It's not found. And so it's a healthy argument for the pre-trips that, hey, at some point right there, chapter 4 or 5, somewhere the church, in their view, is taken up to be with the Lord. And therefore, all the things that are spoken happen to the people that um, are, are not um, believers and weren't caught up. And so the church is mentioned then uh, one more time in chapter 22. So all of a sudden, then the church comes back. So it's not like church disappeared and never was mentioned again. But at the end of it, when all things are new, and it, then the church is brought back into the book of Revelation. So it's a strong argument for pre-trip. Um, weaknesses for pre-trip. This understanding and this belief, and this, I, I didn't know this. I, as a matter of fact, I'll, if you know this, don't, don't jump in here. When do you believe, or when do you think that this understanding of pre-tribulation, what year Somewhere between, obviously, 32 when Jesus, 32 or 33 when Jesus died, and now, 2022, what year do you think this belief was actually put together and kind of taught? Somebody give a guess. 1930. Okay, good. Somebody else. Huh? 1970. Okay, wait. You guys are you guys are thinking right. It was actually not put together until the until the early 1800s, right around 1830. So so understand what I'm saying here. For 1800 years, pre-tribulation wasn't even something that was taught. It's just come in the last 200 years. So this is a weakness for this argument because um, did. Just believers in the last 200 years get some divine revelation? Well, I could argue the other side because Daniel has still said that you're supposed to seal up the things. And I, there's some teaching that talks about, well, some of those things that were sealed up are going to be brought to light. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you can go back and forth on this. But a weakness to this theory and this belief is that it didn't actually come about until 1830. Um, another weakness is that um, in this uh, belief... In this theory, in regards to the rapture, Jesus comes in two phases. There's got to be the one that comes before tribulation, where Jesus comes and takes up his people. Um, and then they believe seven years later, Jesus comes again. And this is the one where the sky is ripped open and everybody will see. Uh, and then he comes to, to reign on the earth for a thousand years. Um, to be quite honest with you, biblically, not a whole lot of finding here. Um, I've heard some interesting teaching on it, but the Bible really doesn't speak about 
two different comings of the Lord. I mean, basically what you're saying is that Jesus is going to secretly come, take the Christians out, and then he will come the second time and it'll be the one that everybody sees. From what I read, it kind of leans more towards when Jesus comes, he's coming. (laughs) And there's going to be a ripping of the sky um, and we're all going to see it. And at that point, we'll be taken, gathered, caught up, snatched away, however. But that is, that's, a, that's a weakness. John 640 is, is an argument and a verse that would be used against pre-tribulation for my Father's will is that everyone, this is Jesus' words, is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. That is going to happen at the last day. That's when we'll be raised up. That's when we'll be gathered up. Um, again, you can probably argue both sides, and, but this is a scripture that's commonly used against it. Um, then another weakness on pre-trib. There is scripture speaking to the saints about being in the tribulation. <laughs> All right, Revelation 13, 7. The church is gone, but it does say this, that the beast was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. Um, Now, what pre-tribulation believers say is that those are the people that come to Jesus after the rapture. There's going to be a certain number of people that in this case, if the rapture comes pre-tribulation and people are snatched up, then people are going to go, oh no, I missed it. Um, if that is actually what takes place because they have gone to church, they've maybe heard their parents speak about it or whatever, and they're going to realize, oh, you know what's happened is that there's been millions of people that have been snatched up, and it was the rapture. I know what happened, and then they're going to give their hearts to the Lord. And so pre-tribulationists believe that that verse in um, chapter 13 are the ones that have given their heart after, after the rapture. Okay. Holy Spirit, guide us all in what to believe, yeah? You know what? I'm actually finding myself up here having fun trying to not be an authority in this. Here you go. Take it for what you want. All right. Matthew 24, verses 21, 22, and 29 through 31. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect. Many people believe elect are the believers. <laughs> but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Verse 29, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds. Okay, this speaks directly to the secret removing, because it says everybody will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect. So everybody sees, and then we're gathered. 
This is a weakness to the pre-trib because there's the elect. Um, the days are cut short for the sake of the elect. Um, and then everybody's going to see, and then we're going to be gathered. And so it, it's a weakness in regards to the, to the pre-tribulation position. All right. Mid-tribulation. Show that graph again for me real quick. This belief is centered uh, on the fact that in the middle of the tribulation, and Daniel speaks to this, Revelation speaks to this. Again, we'll get into it next week, but there is a time of three and a half years. The seven-year period is split in two three-and-a-half-year segments. Mid-tribulationists believe that um, we are going to have to face a portion of the tribulation. Um, the beginning of the birth pains, the beginning of the signs, the, the things, um, and then what is going to take place is at three and a half years, um, it speaks of the, the man that's going to stand in the temple in Israel and is going to do away with the sacrifices, and he's called the abomination that leads to desolation, desolation, and when he becomes known, this is when we will be raptured and will be taken. Uh, the belief is this, that we will be raptured halfway through the tribulation at the seventh trumpet of Revelations 11. Second Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4. Don't, any, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed for destruction. Many believe, believe that that's the Antichrist. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. And so mid-tribulationists believe that when that takes place, halfway through the tribulation, we will be snatched up, that this is when we'll be taken. Daniel 7.25 speaks about this as well. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and a half a time. So there's that three and a half years. will be delivered into his hands for three and a half years, but then they believe it doesn't say the next three and a half, so we're snatched up or we're taken. Matthew 24, 15. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophets, Daniel, let the reader understand. And again, mid-tribulationists believe that's when we'll be taken up. We'll be brought and caught up before the Lord. Um, and the thought is that we don't... Um, it's interesting because some of the weaknesses list, listed are, are talking about that the church is not to suffer wrath, and they would argue exactly. The, the scriptures I said that I read about the wrath part, they would go, yep, that's exactly right. We're not going to suffer wrath because God's wrath doesn't really happen until the second three and a half year, or years. And so that's their argument for that. So it kind of becomes a strength and a weakness for, for, that, for that system of believing. Um, Probably the biggest weakness with the mid-tribulation is the conflict with the trumpets. 1 Corinthians 15 trumpet, 1 Thessalonians 4 trumpet is a trumpet that clearly says that that's when the gathering of God's elect are going to take place. Okay, everybody take a deep breath for me. <laughs> I, can, I can see just the, the glaze. Are you guys okay? Is this good? All right. All right, so the trumpet in Revelations 11. All right. That trumpet clearly indicates um, a harbinger to judgment. And so many people would argue that 
if those two trumpets are the same trumpets, it, it doesn't make sense. That one is about the gathering and collecting. Um, the other one is uh, it's bringing judgment, um, which then I actually found myself thinking through, well, actually, could it be both? And could you argue, hey, you know what, when that trumpet goes off, yeah, there's going to be destruction that's going to take place, but the saints are actually taken up and brought up too. Um, and so there's, there's a case that you could argue in regards to that as well. Um, but many believe that, they, that the two trumpets uh, or these trumpets are not the same, that they're not one and the same. Um, and so um, there's not actually a whole lot out there that I was able to unsurface more than that in regards to mid-tribulation. Now, if you know more, uh, please get with me. I'd love to hear that. Uh, but basically, the, the general understanding is halfway through the seven years of tribulation were taken, which answers um, maybe the, the wrath issue that pre-tribulationists say and go on, but that's where we are for uh, the mid-tribulation. All right, post-tribulation. Bring up that chart one more time just to show people where we're at. All right, this one is on the bottom here, and it, you can see that it's, it's the second coming with the church. Um, and the people who believe in post-tribulation uh, believe that um, we will be raptured at the end of the tribulation directly before Christ's 1,000-year reign. Um, now, this is believed to be the oldest held position in the church today. As a matter of fact, many people say that it was formulated early, early on um, and was the position of the church until about 300 AD when preterism actually entered in and started saying, oh, no, this has all happened already. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, conflict and confusion and different views came out, uh, at least as the way I understand it. Um, <laughs> here's, here's what I put in my notes. The pre-tribulation weakness is the post-tribulation strength. And the post-tribulation strength is the pre-tribulation weakness. Um, and so you can actually kind of go to pre-tribulation and you can, you can read Matthew 24. I won't go through it again, but I kind of talked about it. The things that would actually argue for Matthew 24 against a pre-tribulation is absolutely an argument for post-tribulation. That everybody's going to see the Lord. They're going to mourn it. And then Jesus is going to come with his angels to gather us together. Um, and so uh, I'm not going to spend too much time going into all those. If you read the strengths and weaknesses of pre-tribulation, you'll see the weaknesses and strengths of post-tribulation. A couple I will add. Revelations 24 says this. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. People who would argue for post-tribulation would argue that this verse is saying that we will be here during the tribulation, some of us to lose our heads, and we that are martyred, those that are martyred, will actually come back with the Lord to reign in the thousand years. Because the only other way to say that, see that is to say that Christians were brought in the pre-tribulation, then the ones that came to know the Lord 
are the ones that are beheaded. And then those are the ones that come and reign with Christ for a thousand years. I, I, maybe. Maybe. But for a post-tribulation person, they believe that we're going to be here and that many of us will be martyred and that those that are martyred will actually come and serve with Jesus for that thousand-year reign. All right? From that verse. Um, historically, another argument for post-tribulation. Historically, God's people have not been rescued out of persecution or trial, but they've been given grace to go through it. Post-tribulationists make a separation in regards to God's wrath and Satan's wrath. And what they will say is this, we will not suffer God's wrath, but that does not mean that we will not have to deal with and go through Satan's wrath. God's wrath that he pours out on the earth he will protect us from. They will use the scripture of Moses with Pharaoh and some of the plagues that hit Pharaoh and Egypt did not hit the Israelites. So God is able and can do whatever he wants in regards to protecting his people, absolutely. So they would say this, that in regards to um, the wrath of God, not a single one of us as believers would have to be subject to that, but that does not mean that we don't have to deal with the wrath of Satan on this planet. And so post-tribulations would say God has never just pulled his people out. When Christians were getting burned as candles by the Romans, God didn't snatch his people out. They, they had to endure that. They had to go through that. I'm church. We live in America. We have no idea. But there are people right now dealing with great persecution about what they believe. And um, the post-tribulationists would say, we're going to have to deal with, with that. And that can be very fearful and that can be scary. But here's what I would tell you. I said it last week and I'll say it again. God will give you the grace to go through it. Um, I have seen a mother bury her child and be the one that spoke at the funeral. I have seen a wife bury her husband and be the one that encouraged everybody that was around her. I have seen parents being diagnosed or have their kids diagnosed. Well, we have one inside of our church. Pastor Peter, his little girl diagnosed deaf. And I go, I don't know if he could, I don't know if I could do that. But there's a grace on that family. And there is an ability to go through what God has allowed. I'm not saying that God created it, but it has he has allowed that to happen in their lives. And because of that, there's a grace. And I'm telling you, church, there is a grace that God will give to every one of us if we're going to have to go through that. And so this is not a position to bring fear on anybody, but to let you know that this is a belief that's out there. And so let the Holy Spirit lead and guide and speak to you. But understand this. If it is post-tribulation, and we do have to endure some of Satan's wrath. God's grace will help you to go through it. I'm reminded of Stephen in the Bible. You know what? He starts to proclaim God. They arrest him. And he basically tells the story of the Israelites and God's people and says, and you're, the, you, you're doing exactly what your fathers did. And they man, like stoned him for it, right? And it says that while they're stoning him, so while he's being killed, I would say that's wrath, yes, 
I don't, never had a stone thrown at me where I didn't consider it with wrath, right? I did, stones just pounding. He looked up and he saw Jesus. And there was a countenance on him. What, what is it? That's the grace I'm talking about. Now, when you think about it, there's no power in it today. There's no power in thinking about that. Or when somebody else goes through something, there's no power in you thinking, I wonder if I could do that. God will give you the grace sufficient for today and what you need to go through. So don't be afraid. Um, if, if that scares you, please come talk to me um, and let's, let's talk about it. Because God, God didn't give us this so that we would be afraid. He gave us this so that we would know that he would be with us. Yes? Okay. Weaknesses. Um, the church is not to suffer wrath. Many people believe that that wrath is Satan's wrath that is referred to in Thessalonians. And so that we wouldn't have to suffer or go through that wrath. And so post-tribulations say that we may go through that. Pre-tribulations say, no, that's, that's not. And so the wrath, um, and there, there's, there's absolutely a very good, strong point on that. And the weakness, again, is why the absence of the church in the book of Revelation? Why did the church mysteriously disappear from chapter 4 to chapter 22 um, if we are actually supposed to, to, to be here? Um, and so that's kind of my summation real quick of pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. Here's how I want to finish. I was praying about this, and I was, I, I believe I was given this by God. I, maybe it was just me coming up with my own power, but um, I was thinking about it, and I got a picture of a GPS system. Um, has anybody in this room, show of hands, used a GPS system to get somewhere? Everybody in the room. I was actually thinking, how did we do it 20 years ago? <laughs> I think we're supposed to take a right. You know, <laughs> a big map. Yeah, it, it was it, it, not like it is now. Um, and here's, here's the picture I got. When you put in a destination into your GPS, your mapping program, you are given three or four different routes. All of them all pop up, right? Boop, boop, boop. One with tolls, one without tolls, one with traffic, one without traffic. The shortest distance, the most scenic distance if you want. You have all kinds of different routes to get to the final destination. Church, the final destination is the fact that Jesus Christ is returning. He is coming back. And that is good news. That is the final destination. And the, the end has already been put into the system. I believe that he intentionally left some pretty vague aspects of how it's all going to happen so that we could look and go, okay, there's all kinds of different routes that this could take place. And here's what I would like to communicate to you. Pray, ask the Holy Spirit to lead you, and go with whatever you feel like the Lord has told you that you feel most comfortable with. As I've gone through these strengths and weaknesses, and you're like, oh, that one resonates with me. I don't know about that one. Go with that one. But as you're going along with that one, if you decide to go with pre-tribulation and you're moving along and all of a sudden the Antichrist appears and he starts to throw out a bunch of rules and regulations and he all of a sudden stands on the, on, on the temple mount, clearly your route has just disappeared. <laughs> and I would submit this. Don't lose heart. Recalculate. And get on to another route. Because I wonder 
if we get so dogmatic about one single position that if that position went away, we would lose our faith. Because my pastor always used to say, the mother of bad theology is disappointment. Pastor John used to say, the mother of bad theology is disappointment. So pick a path, go at it, and realize that if you see that path go away, recalculate and just jump on to the other one. If you're a post-tribulation person and you're going at it, don't argue with other people and try to convince them or anything like that. Yeah, maybe use some of this to, to make people aware because I think that's, that's a healthy thing. But if Jesus comes and plucks this out before, none of you will be disappointed. None of you will be. You'll be super glad. You'll be super glad you were wrong. But remember what the final destination is, and that is Jesus is returning. Listen, one out of 30 New Testament verses, one out of 30 speak about Jesus' second coming. The rapture, one verse. Jesus' return, one out of 30 verses in the New Testament. It's in there over and over and over again. Prophecy about Jesus coming as Messiah for the first time. There are eight times prophecies of his second return. Eight times. Now, these are stats I read. I did not have enough time to make sure, make sure, but I read it from a reliable source, so... I just listed some things in your, Jesus coming back, Acts 1, 9 through 11, John 14, 3, Revelations 1, 7, Matthew 26, 24, Mark 14, 62, Matthew 24, 30, Daniel 7, 13, Luke 21, 27, Mark 13, 26, Jude 1, 14, and on and on and on, and on and on and on. Church, we make a huge mistake if we spend a majority of our time focusing on one verse and don't spend more of our time on the one out of 30 verses. The bottom line is, Jesus is returning. The timing of it, I believe, intentionally, he made it so that no one would know exactly. And when we spend time researching it and going over it and arguing it and battling it, we can lose Jesus. The ones who miss the Messiah were the ones that were supposed to know best when, they were, when he was coming, and they missed him. Church, do not miss Jesus because you get hung up on any of the end time stuff. In regards to end time stuff, it's in there. We're blessed if we read it. We're blessed when we hear it. But understand, Jesus should be at least 30 times more important than that. Actually, it's more than that. One verse, one out of 30. What does God want us to focus on? He wants us to focus on him, our relationship with him. And we can have conversations about this, but I'm begging you, don't get dogmatic about it. If you're here, well, I've researched it and I studied it out. Man, that is awesome. That's great. And I'm, I'm glad that the Holy Spirit has given you a conviction on that. Do not put that conviction on anybody else. Let them come to their own place. You can discuss it. Yes, there's blessing in that. 
But I would hope that you would discuss Jesus 30 times more than that. And we've got a whole world that likes to get into this way more than actually talking about our relationship with Jesus. And so the heart of this church is make sure you're on fire and right with God. Because if you're right with God, then that means however it comes, he's going to come and gather us all together. Oh, I got I to gotta share this real quick because I, I promised I would. All right, here's the other thing I read a week and a half ago that I read and I was like, I don't know, maybe. Or maybe. And here's the thought that it's post-tribulation. But when Jesus returns, the story in Matthew where it says one will be, two will be in the field and one will be left and one will be taken. The theory in this is the one that's taken, oh, <laughs> you ready for this? The one that's taken, the evil one. As in the days of Noah, when the flood came and swept the evil away, the wheat and the tares gathered and separated, the tares removed first. <laughs> what? So their belief is Jesus comes, everybody sees it, he comes down, the the evil is removed. He gathers his elect. We reign for a thousand years. We're taken up. New heaven, new earth. Brought back down. Our focus should be on the fact he is returning for us. <laughs> we need to walk in relationship with him, church. It does say that we're supposed to keep watch. And I'm just going to conclude by saying this. Bring as many people along with you as you can. Bring as many people with you as you can. Get out in this world. Tell them about Jesus. If you need to use some end times, what a great time to do it because everybody's wondering about it. Great. Use this. Talk about it. Bring up the three different positions. Let them wrestle with it. At least they heard it. And if something happened that they start to see these things, maybe they become a believer. But what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to walk in our walking, talking relationship with the Lord. We are supposed to keep watch. We are supposed to be diligent to occupy until he returns and bring as many people as we can with us. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for, um, we thank you for these di difficult subjects and, and this difficult subject matter. And Lord, I pray um, that, you would, um, that you would come in and fill in all of the gaps that I lacked in, in presenting this tonight. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would help each one of us wrestle through these things and, and give us, each one of us, um, the, the conviction and, and where you want us to, to rest and where you want us to be. I, I believe, Lord, that you want us to, to rest in the place that um, we have relationship with you and that that is the number one priority. And so, Lord, help us to focus on that as the number one priority and not get caught up in any secondary issues or things, but Lord, help us to just stand in our relationship with you. And Lord, I pray right now that if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you, as I've been speaking about your return and the fact that it says it over and over and over again, that you're coming back to take your people that have called upon your name. Lord, if there's anybody in this room tonight that has not called upon your name, Lord, I pray that you would make yourself real to them right now. And if you're here tonight and you would say, Pastor, I have never asked Jesus into my heart. It's super easy. Just say, Jesus, come into my heart. 
And then pay very close attention to your thoughts that come because he will guide you and he will lead you. He's not asking you to come and attend a church. He's not asking you to uh, get involved in, in a religion. He wants you to get involved in a relationship with him. And he wants to just guide and lead you in these tough times right now. And so just ask him to come in, invite him in. And if you will do that, I know he is faithful to come in. And so Lord, if there's anybody in here tonight that is in that position, Lord, I pray that you would make yourself real, that you would enter into their hearts and into their mind, and that your spirit would deposit himself into them, and that you would begin to lead them and direct them. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you for the fact that you want a walking, talking relationship with us. Lord, we bless you, and we love you. In your name, amen.